Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but it's composed by people. And each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. The cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it. And Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because Ethereum is people all the way down and it always has been. Today on Layer Zero, I'm speaking with Casey Craig, global head of comms at Coindesk, and also Eli Tan, a journalist, an NFT journalist, also at Coindesk. And this is the episode that I really wanted to produce to talk about crypto journalism. I haven't really seen anyone go down the rabbit hole of what's it like to be a journalist in crypto, or what's it like to be the head of comms of a crypto media, crypto journalist publication. Uh, Bankless, we don't consider ourselves journalists. We call ourselves a thesis-driven media company. We have opinions. There's a future out there that we want to help shape. And journalism is not that. Journalism is here's the facts, here's the news, here's what you need to know. And it's also about getting the scoop. It's also about getting the alpha. And so Eli is this very young, 24 years old, started at Coindesk at 22, fresh out of college, skipped over going over any sort of like trad media, trad job, and straight into NFT journalism in the height of an NFT bull market. So we get that story. And Casey, the head of comms at Coindesk, has been with Coindesk for many, many winters now. So she's been around and she's seen it all. And so we just take a peek under the hood as to what's it like to be a crypto media company. Coindesk is, of course extremely large of a media entity in crypto. And they are now broadening their horizons to TradFi competitors. So they are competing with the likes of Bloomberg or you know any of these other very large media institutions that are outside of crypto. And I think this is a sign of crypto really growing up and looking out at bigger fish, bigger horizons, and thinking about what we can bring new to the table. We also talk about just the different structure of Coindesk versus its competition. The very hierarchical nature of traditional media versus the very flat nature of Coindesk and how Coindesk really empowers their own journalists to do their best work, of course, after they earn the stripes. So let's go ahead and get right into this conversation with Casey and Eli of Coindesk. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Nexo is your financial hub for all your crypto needs. Nexo lets you buy crypto instantly with your credit or debit card or via bank transfer. They also have an awesome advanced trading platform called Nexo Pro that pays you rewards when you swap crypto assets. And Nexo also lets you earn interest on your crypto in Bitcoin, ETH, or other assets. And they also give you an instant crypto line of credit with as low as 0% APR. And they also give you access to a crypto-backed MasterCard, of course, earning you more crypto when you use it. So enhance your financial life with Nexo, who ensures all credit lines are over-collateralized with insurance on all custodial assets. Nexo, the right place for your crypto. So click the link in the show notes to join over 5 million users who are getting the most out of their crypto. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. The Brave Wallet is your secure multi-chain on-ramp into Web3 and it's built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready Browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. 
I'm here with Eli Tan and Casey Craig of Coindesk. Eli, you are an NFT journalist at yes. Coindesk, and Casey, you are head of comms. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to go down the exploratory journey of what the hell it's like to be a journalist inside of the world of crypto, which I would imagine is a challenge. Eli, is it a challenge to be a journalist in crypto? It's a challenge, but I think it's probably one of the most fun things you yeah. know a reporter can cover. It's got all of the all of the drama, mm -hmm. you know, of any beat, but all of the drama, all of the absurdity. Yeah, I think it's. Let's go a little bit into your guys' backgrounds just to kind of set the stage and the context for the listener. So Eli, can you give us a little bit of background of who you are and what you studied in college and how you came to be a journalist at Coindesk? Yeah, so I'm kind of an up-and-coming reporter. Uh, Coindesk is actually my first you know, full-time professional job. I went to school in Minnesota, but out of college. It was uh, June of last year. Um, mm -hmm. Joined Coindesk and then at that time, June 2021, you know, NFTs were still kind of like a nascent thing. So no one really wanted to get stuck with the NFT beat. It was kind of like something I, I could, oh, I like NFTs. I like writing about these. And then, you know, I don't think anyone could have predicted kind of the rise and mm -hmm. fall of it throughout that next, you know, whatever it was, 12, 15 months. But um, yeah, kind of rode the, the career wave with, with NFTs. Okay, so you were writing about NFTs. You were pushing into that domain of crypto before media entities and crypto were really covering it. And I was assuming that flipped really, really fast, pretty quickly, yeah? And yeah. Eli's being modest, too. I mean, Eli, he was breaking NFT news stories. He's been featured in everything from, like, Rolling Stone to CNBC, Hypebeast, kind of all across the board. And Eli came to us as an intern, and within one year, he was not only one of our top reporters, but one of the top reporters in the entire space. Yeah, I mean, I benefited from having my entire beat be NFTs. You know, mm -hmm. at the time it was like kind of this quirky technology niche, right? Like a lot of people were writing about Web3, NFTs were part of that, but I was like full on in the NFT space, mm -hmm. you know, full time, which was definitely interesting. Casey, on the Coindesk side of things, can you talk about that pivot pre-NFTs to post-NFTs? Like what was the attitude about NFTs in Coindesk and when was like, okay, the transition be like, oh no, we need to cover this thing? I mean, that's a great question and Eli might be able to answer a little bit better, but I don't remember us ever covering it except for sporadically before. I mean, when Eli joined, we really gave him that beat. And that was like also one of the first times, just from a comm standpoint, that Coindesk was cited in mainstream publications. We've always been cited for breaking news in the financial or tech or like traditional business publications like CNBC. But when we started covering NFTs, we were like cited in super mainstream publications. I think, you know, Coindesk alone had 190 million people visit the website last year. And it was the crypto price was a part of it, but a big part of it was probably also the NFT coverage. And Casey, can you just explain a little bit of your role and background at Coindesk? What do you do there? Yeah, so my job, you know, it's kind of a simple goal, but a complicated way to get there is I want to make Coindesk a household name. Mm -hmm. When people think of Bloomberg, they think of news, business news. When they think of the Wall Street Journal, they think of finance news, business news, the New York Times, every kind of, you know, realm of journalism. So I want everybody to know what Coindesk is and that we're the leader in crypto coverage and blockchain. Mm -hmm. And what did you do before Coindesk? I've kind of always worked in crypto. I mean, there was like a stint when I was still a ski bomb and I was selling timeshares in Brackenridge, <laughs> Colorado. But ever since then, when I moved to New York, I worked at Waxman PR. Mm -hmm. Coindesk was a client then. Um, I went into Spark PR and worked with anyone from Abra um, to a few other smaller crypto companies. And then I ran actually the financial services PR at Publicis Sapient. Mm -hmm. So did a little bit of TradFi and then came back into Coindesk in my current role. Okay, so I'm getting the sense from both of you that backgrounds generally not, you majored in journalism, Eli, so that, that's a strong background. I and mean, of course, journalism, but no one can really prepare you for crypto, right? No, <laughs> exactly, there's, there's nothing yeah. like to really help you help nothing. you with that. And Casey, your background really isn't marketing or no. uh, journalism or anything like this. And so, I mean, I feel like most people can empathize with these stories, like crypto always throws you a curveball and you end up doing something a little bit different than you expected it to. But Eli, I want to kind of go through your background, starting with majoring in journalism. What's did you think you were going to do and write about what did you want to do and then how did crypto end up throwing you a curveball yeah so i can remember really distinctly it was the spring of my senior year mm -hmm. and i just wanted to get in a newsroom right i was applying to these papers you're a seattle guy i was applying to papers on it's like bainbridge island right mm -hmm. paper of like five people and you know i couldn't get in the door right like no one wanted me and then i had always been really interested in crypto Kind of from like an investment standpoint. And then, of course, like the Dogecoin stuff I was like really interested in. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I see this kind of Coindesk opportunity 
And I essentially told them like, yeah, I've never written about this stuff. And they were like, you know, not many people have. That's like the thing. Like if you just want to throw yourself into it, like you can become an expert and you can really have like a voice here. So I thought, okay, I'll try it out. Yeah. And then to go from that to being like, you know, touted as kind of like this NFT expert, right? Mm -hmm. Because essentially anyone that knew about NFTs like I did in, you know, the winter of 2020 technically is an expert, right? Because it's so new. So it was like going from, you know, the rookie who kind of has no basis in anything to like the expert. I can remember distinctly, it was actually in Miami. Oh um, yeah, the first your time, first public speaking role. The first role. time I ever spoke publicly <laughs> was at FTX Arena in Miami. Where the I, Miami I, Heat plays. Yeah, I had been invited to talk, to moderate that panel mm-hmm. in front of like thousands of people. So I've like, they put the makeup on, I've got yeah. the, the nice clothing, wow. I've got the mic. And you and interviewed Pia like, Mia yeah, on stage. Pia and, um, She's like, like what, eight, 10, 20 million yeah. Instagram and followers then, or something? Um, you know, M Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold. Like it was mm-hmm. just kind of this funny thing. It was like my coming out moment of like, oh wow. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm like freaking out. Like I've never talked in front of people before. Yeah. And then it's like the big intro, but. Um, yeah. And then since then, I mean, Eli's been to the Grammys. He interviewed G-Eazy right before the Grammys. He attended. You were like at a table, like right to the full. It was essentially like all the absurdity of NFTs I was kind of there for. Like mm-hmm. during these times when it seemed like every sports team, every musician was doing NFTs, like I was kind of right there for it because, you know, of course they want the press, right? So like, I think the Grammys thing was probably like the peak moment of absurdity, like me on the red carpet for the Grammys. In a tux, right? No, a suit. And people just being like, like, what is, like, who is this kid? And it's like, I read about NFTs, yeah. you know? And it's, of course, changed a lot since then. Like, I think the industry is, like, rebranding a little bit. Like, the hype's not quite the same as what it was. But, like, for a few moments, like, there was some glory definitely along the way. Of Lots of glory. What is going on, yeah. You mentioned how you were trying to just get into Bainbridge Island newspaper. And for those that aren't familiar with uh, Seattle or the Pacific Northwest, Bainbridge Island is where you take the ferry to across the Sound. It's a small town. Population 300. Yeah, (laughs) like there's not a lot of readers of that. And so to go from applying for something like the Bainbridge Island, like local newspaper to doing NFT coverage in the middle of a bull market, I'm sure was a little bit of a whiplash. How what were your emotions going through that like year of your life? It was a lot. I mean, it's still kind of like a fever dream thinking about like some of the stuff. Speaking at like South by Southwest was another cool thing. Just, like, <gasps> oh my gosh! Things. Yes, he spoke at South by Southwest with WrestleMania stars. Yeah, yeah, Who it was, was me and a it bunch of WrestleMania stars. Um, yeah, uh, it was Stephanie Cohen. No, that's not right. I think so. Somebody. You know, Quintus can generally have had some cool public speaking opportunities. I think Eli is one of the only journalists that speaks to. He's asked me on panels with like real life celebrities, not just crypto mm-hmm. celebrities, but big mainstream celebrities. And it's kind of funny because he's 22 at the time. They didn't know anything about NFTs and he was really the one leading the conversation, driving the conversation, the expert. I mean, South by Southwest is huge. So that was just one of them. And then, you know, he's even been interviewed by the New York Times. It's a piece that like, we don't know when it's coming out, but it was just on his career in crypto journalism and how you can become an expert with I mean, not not a short amount of time because I don't want to dilute that expertise, but it's it's different about, than every other crypto. Career. That's pretty great, I think, is that people really don't care about credentials. Yeah, really <laughs> it's all just about like what you Definitely know, really, right? Yeah, like yeah. you know, you've got some of the most authoritative figures in NFTs, and they're just like a picture of a monkey and mm-hmm. you know some alias, right? right? And it's like no one cares who they really are. No one cares like where they've worked. If they have like something to say, you know, like people will really listen. And I think I kind of benefited a lot from that just because it's my first job, but because sure. people like the articles, you know, they're, they're willing to listen to me. So, yeah, you had the, the fortune to jump right into this industry. I, I wish I had like, were able to skip that four years of my life of post-college before I found crypto. If I had just been able to gap that, that'd been really, really nice. Mm-hmm. But so you don't really actually have like too much experience not reporting in crypto. This will take a little bit of creativity to answer this question. But what kind of challenges... As a journalist, we are in an industry where there are tokens everywhere. People want to pump their bags. People have self-interest. And it's not like it's not true in no- normal TradFi, journalist, Web2 journalism. All these same kind of incentives apply. Like everyone's trying to like pump themselves, like promote themselves. As a journalist, I'm sure you have to be skeptical. But in crypto, it's got to be like on steroids, right? So what are the, some of the hard, challenging parts about being a journalist in crypto, especially during a bull market, right? Like how crazy was that? Yeah, the pitches, right, Eli? You'd get 100 a day. Yeah, I was getting like, you know, a few hundred pitches a day. Uh So that was hard to sort through. I mean, it's tough because 
you've got to balance like what is news and what is a promotion for somebody's mm -hmm. project, you know? The way that like information is shared too with NFTs, like it's all on Twitter, right? Like I think that's like probably what helps a lot of my articles is that I'm just like very native to like these Twitter communities and I'm kind of like in the weeds of mm -hmm. like what's going on and some of the best stories like we were just talking about the whole Bendow liquidation thing it was just something that I was like right. watching and no one was writing about it because no one was kind of in these like really inner circles of, of NFT people. Interesting. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because one of the first ways I got into content I joke about like I did this thing and then a year later we created Bankless as I was just noticing this thing happen on chain with Ether volatility and MKR burn. It's like, oh, as Ether is more volatile, MKR gets burned at a faster rate, MKR out of MakerDAO. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting and I wrote about it and like no one else was looking at it. And then I thought like 50 people were going to read it, but like 500 people wrote it. And that was like my wow. first dopamine hit. Wow. And people I think don't really realize how much there is to write about and how much of it is being like looked over by so many people. How did you develop your intuition as to like what is a good thing to cover or what is going to be interesting to the readers? So what I had always thought like in the early days, right, is like, oh, what are kind of like the groundbreaking things happening that are like moving the industry mm -hmm. forward? But then what I found with NFTs is that there are actually more people that like to make fun of NFTs than there are really mm -hmm. like promoting them, right? Mm -hmm. So like some of my favorite stories to do are stories where outsiders can kind of look in and just laugh at the absurdity of like everything that's happening. Like the bend out thing is a great example, right? Like essentially people recreating like the financial crisis of 2008, but instead of mortgages, it's with monkey pictures. Right. And it's like, even if you're not like really uh, don't know much about NFTs mm -hmm. or like understand the technology, like something like that, I think is kind of compelling. Do you think that incentive where, and this is true for all of crypto, people kind of want to crypto for just to crash and burn, right? Mm -hmm. There's that external incentive. And then that kind of creates incentives out of our media institutions to cater to those readers so we can get the views. And then it starts to incept itself a little bit deeper into the culture of everything. How do you think about this challenge where we want to promote our industry for the best that it is? We have businesses that run on like eyeballs and attention and views. As a journalist, how do you balance these things? Yeah, it's tough because if you look at like most of the, you know, NFT media stuff, like people make their money writing about like the way up and the way down, like one or the other. Mm -hmm. You've got like, I don't know if you know Molly White, but her like Web3 is going great. It's a great blog. Oh, we're but we're only... recording with her later next week. Actually, Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She does great stuff, but she only writes about the bad stuff. Right? right. And then a lot of people only write about the good. But as journalists, like that's not our job, right? It's... Mm -hmm. But so um, many journalists do. News, right? And I think there's some publications, I mean, I don't want to say them because I don't want to hurt those relationships, but they really only focus, they kind of wait for scandal. Right. And they really want to focus. I mean, they're such pessimists because sometimes that is a good story. I mean, we even published the Genesis story and that's our sister company. It was a little controversial. I mean, we're talking about a giant, giant loss. But yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have both, you know, as our newsroom. I notice that we always try to represent both sides. I don't think, I mean, when you read Coindesk articles, we're really good at everything's, not only is it factually correct, but we're pretty blunt. We get to the point. We're not yeah. evangelizing crypto. We're extremely neutral, but a lot of other publications are not like that. I think either one of the spectrum, they're either evangelizing it and they're pumping it or they're ripping it to shreds. Mm. Yeah, Casey, how would you place Coindesk in the sphere of crypto media. So we have we have Coindesk, we have The Block, we have Decrypt, we have mm -hmm. all of these different journalists or media entities reporting on the news. How would you characterize Coindesk's specific niche and, and flavor? So that's a great question. Um, to be honest, and not just to sound like, you know, I'm trying to pump Coindesk, but we've <laughs> <That's> kind <allowed. laughs> of, yeah, we've kind of, to be honest, those, those are our competitors for crypto, but we've kind of evolved beyond being a crypto trade. I mean, 190 people, 190 million people came to our site last year, consensus of 20,000 people, the indices companies. So honestly, we see Bloomberg as our competitor. CNBC mm. is our competitor. So the you guys have broken Journal. out. You guys are, are going for bigger We really fish. have, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, we really have. And so how did Coindesk get there? Can you remind, remind me when you started at Coindesk and sure. kind of carry us through that journey? So I've been global head of comms for about two years. Like I said, they were my client in 2017 when I was at Waxman. Mm. So when I first started working with them, I don't think Michael Casey was even in his as a chief content officer yet. I think he was even an advisor. So kind of a long time. 
And so Coindesk, kind of how we got there, it's a lot of, I mean, the people. I think it really does come down to the people. When we hire talent, they, we have this tremendous intern program that Eli was in. Um, at a more senior level, we're hiring talent from Politico, Bloomberg, other huge mainstream publications. We don't really have a super high turnover rate compared to a lot of other newsrooms. But yeah, we have like absolute legends working on the editorial side. I mean, Kevin Reynolds, our editor-in-chief, created Bloomberg's news-breaking desk. So I think how we got there, it's kind of simple. I mean, I think it's the people, the commitment to journalism and integrity and our ethics are really strong. Yeah, and the elder statesmen of Coindesk are like, really <laughs> no. like I mean, it's true. Like, Wait, can, can you explain that reference? Like, yeah. just, just people who have been in crypto, like literally since the inception, yeah. like literally since Bitcoin, like a year right. after it's created. Like you'll hear yeah. stories, like as much as the new young blood people have like given some life to it, like people who go to the first Bitcoin conference and took Bitcoin as mm -hmm. payment for hotels from the buddies that they were doing it from and, and had, sold, had to sell like hundreds of Bitcoin because the editorial policy was, you know, you can't own any yeah so it's like stuff like that right it's like as much as uh i'm casey too i mean michael casey yeah. was at the journal for 20 years he mm -hmm. wrote the first book one of the biggest first books on crypto i think he's written three or four of them since um i can't actually think of a bigger legend in this space besides paul vigna who's his partner at the journal they've been covering it for 10 years Coindesk has hired a bunch of people, both chads from the tra <laughs> traditional media world. I'm assuming smart also, chads, smart chads, smart but I'm chads. assuming also just like, you know, normal writers, just because you need the talent, right? You need the manpower. How has it been to onboard these people to be crypto people? Or how do you do you hire people that are only interested in crypto? How do you grow out a staff when there's such demand like in a bull market and you need them to be like crypto informed? How challenging is this? To be honest, like we don't hire everyone. I mean, it is a pretty selective process. Most of the journalists that we hired, it is a big part of it is personality. Like they need to have tenacity. They need to be a team player. That's how the newsroom runs. We don't like internal politics, competition. So kind of it is a big part of it is a personality match. That's what the editor in chief told us. They don't really need to be like crypto native or like super crypto literate. I think anyone can learn the space if they're committed enough. Um, most of them, they have a regulation background, policy mm -hmm. background, finance, and some tech. And how do you deal with that question of uh, bags? Are journalists allowed to own only certain crypto assets? What are the general like rules Great and parameters? Question. Yeah. Um, and this is on our website too. So we allow our journalists to own, I think it's like 15 or 1500 USD. Okay. I think you can own as much as you want. You just have to disclose it. You have it. to disclose and it. And then we have very strict policies on when you can buy and sell. Yep. And we publicize it. So mm -hmm. when you go to mm -hmm. an author's bio, you can see how much they own and of what specifically, um, just so that you know that their ethics are never compromised when they're writing about something. But we think it's important. Like, how can you write about something that you don't actually use or know anything about it from a firsthand experience. And how can you also retain talent when like we kind of know Bitcoin, Ether are going to absolutely moon over the next five years. And it's both like good for alignment because you need your journalists to understand what they're writing about, but also like they, you want them bought into not just their job, but the industry as a whole, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we like strive to have like a great workplace, which I know mm -hmm. sounds kind of generic, but it's true. I mean, as of now, we're not going to make people come back into the office full time. We know writing is really demanding. Mm -hmm. And so we allow most of the journalists who are now worldwide to work from home, which I think mm -hmm. is important. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Like, I personally love working at Coindesk, and I think most people do. Mm -hmm. And so there aren't any limits as to, like, the magnitude of one's bags. You can't, like, you're not limited to, like, $10,000 or $100,000. No, I think we are. So I think for the majority, most of the journalists own a, like, minimal amount. Yeah, most, it's kind of interesting. Most of us don't own very much crypto. Yeah. Um, interesting. How the does skepticism it, is like very real, I think. How does that apply to NFTs? What are they? I'm assuming there's got to be rules on NFTs, right? Yeah, we typically, I think the policy is supposed to be similar. Any NFT over $1,000 value, we disclose. So, Oh, but we, it's disclosing, not you're actually capped on owning that thing. Typically, like I never own anything I write about okay. as a rule of thumb. If I do for some reason, it's disclosed. Mm -hmm. My personal little NFT investments are very different from what I write about. Like I would never... No matter sure. what the policy would be, I would never yeah. like buy an NFT and then write about the collect. You know, it would sure. just compromise. Also, well, you would get outed so quickly. Right. I yeah, mean, that's it's all the on thing. chain, and yeah. I have my. Yeah, <laughs> it would never be like. Well, also, that we'd even try to. I, do. I mean, like, I don't think our competitors would do this, but the way our journalism too, and like the investigative background for some of the pieces, I mean, that could be public knowledge, and mm -hmm. that's just something that reputation is everything. Twitter's made journalist profile so public. Right. Um, I don't think anyone would jeopardize that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also a funny tool to use because people have their ENSs. 
right. then it's like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna look like, why were you, you know, right. you worked for this company, you were buying me bits before mm-hmm. the big, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, what's it's up not with hard that? To put you know, two yeah, together. it's really the on-chain stuff is interesting as like a tool. Sure. So you guys feel that CoinDesk has got a pretty good wrap on just the incentive misalignment between having media people that we want these people to own assets. We want them to be neutral. As an industry, okay, rate yourself because that's a fun question. Yeah. Uh, but then also rate the industry at large and also like kind of the aggregate of your competition. Like how well of an industry are we doing at like disclosing? I don't think that well. I mean, I would want to kind of do more research before making like any mm-hmm. kind of statement based on sure. a specific publication. But I think a lot of the crypto trades, it's obvious. I mean, it's a lot of misinformation that they're spreading. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's for an incentive to their personal advantage, but that's one of the biggest problems in crypto journalism is that so many people are getting the story wrong. Mm. And that's why we really pride ourselves on verifying every source. Everything is fact-checked so diligently. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of known that a lot of other crypto publications are pay-for-play, and that's something that we've Mm. never done and never will. Can you walk me through that due diligence process? Basically, yeah, you like, let's go and like peel back the layers and make sure this is right. But crypto is so noisy. It's not like the easiest place to do that due diligence. Could you guys walk us through a process of what a due diligence process looks like in crypto? Yeah, I mean, a big thing in crypto are open secrets, right? Like, you know, scoops about people being involved. Mm-hmm. And this was a big thing when the whole Luna crash happened, right? Like all of Doquan's, you know, involvements. And it's like the process of, you know, taking the open secret and being like, no, we've got to call everybody that could possibly be involved and we've got to see the documents and we've got to see the records like that's kind of what i think crypto media like why it's really like this really valuable asset to the industry like there are so many rumors that are swirling around right so to have an organization and this isn't just us i mean a lot of other media places do this like to really go and like fact check what's going on i think it's really valuable how do you balance wanting to be first and wanting to get the scoop and not having complete data like where you don't really know if it's all there. How do you balance this? I mean, I think that goes back to the process, right? When we publish a piece, it's like the fact checking. I mean, you're not ever publishing a piece like by yourself. Like there's so many other eyes on it, so many other editors. I mean, I do think we get a lot of pieces first, mm-hmm. but I think Danny, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. They've stayed up all night publishing a piece to get it first, but it's a process and it's a commitment. Yeah. Trying to get things first is a dangerous game. Because it's like you really open yourself up to, I mean, we've gotten stuff wrong before. It's something, it's a temptation, you know, it's not really, the only added benefit is like the attention. So you kind of got to put that. What's the recourse process if you get something wrong? Just panic. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll correct it. Yeah. We have a very, we have a very like, yeah, we issue our corrections right up at the top. I'm thinking as the journalist, like. Everybody, Reuters does that. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. We'll immediately. And when we get something wrong, it'll be like really. Sorry? This is like a tried and true science of journalism. Yeah. 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 Every mainstream publication does that. We never like, Mm -hmm. you know, try to cover it up or anything. It's the exact opposite, if anything. That's why it sucks as the journalist so much, because if you get something wrong, like everyone will know you got it wrong, because we have to let people know, like, yeah, we were wrong. Like there's no, you know, like sweep it under the rug, right? Like it's all very out in the open. Eli, in your history at CoinDesk, do you have like a particularly good scoop that you're proud of? What is your best scoop? Your high score? Best scoop? Top three. I mean, just in terms of like, (laughs) I love that Constitution Dow story. Um, mm-hmm. I got to go to the auction. I love. Oh, wow. Kind of you were at, was it Sotheby's? Sotheby's, yeah. Nice. I've been to a few Sotheby's auctions, but that was probably one of my favorite stories to be like right there as the auction closed. On okay, the so ground, you were on the frontier of Constitution Doubt. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We, we were one of the first people to kind of write about that. Um, Amazing. But again, something that we just kind of saw happening on Twitter and we're like, oh my gosh, like, this is unbelievable. Okay, so you saw it happen on Twitter. Somebody, I'm sure, realizes like, hey, I'm making the call. We need to cover this. Can you like walk me through what happened next in your life? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the funny, how I'm thinking that and I'm thinking of the RazzleCon as well. Oh yeah, like, that's a good one. Um, stories that become so much bigger than just crypto media, right? Mm-hmm. Like Constitution Dow for sure. Like I remember we're at, it was uh, Danny Nelson and I, who's now one of our editors. Like we're at the auction house. This was like one of my first months on the job and it's like, everyone's there, <laughs> right? The New York Times is there. Like everybody's like, you're kind of like in the neck of it with these reporters. Um, but we actually have like better information than a lot of them because our sources are really good. And mm-hmm. it was like being in the Discord channels for it, which right. a lot of the reporters just didn't know how to do, mm-hmm. led to like a lot of information that made for like some really compelling parts of the story. Right. I would imagine there is a lot of advantage you get as a journalist just being informed about very basic crypto principles like you be in discord you be in telegram you are a part of the community when you're in a discord 
do people know who you are or what you're up to? Or you're like, no, you're, no, you're, you're I'm lurking. lurking in the I think my Discord name you're even lurking. is like Lurking Leopard or something, some random thing, right? So <laughs> I, I feel like that's a disclosure <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but knowing how to use Discord, like, even a lot of crypto journalists aren't, yeah. you know, up on that. Like, there's just little things like that where it's like the alpha, as they mm-hmm. say, you know, it's like, oh, you got to go get it. Would you say that most journalists at Coindesk are Discord people? Uh, definitely not. I think no? even. Is that what yeah, other statesmen maybe is that kind of what makes you special? Is you're a Discord person? Well, yeah, because young people like yeah, I don't have any experience, <laughs> but I can people. go. And, I don't have any, and then like the boomer crew, right? Like it's like the two, <laughs> it's like that. the two forces, right? It's like yeah. the well, we the Wall the Street Journal, you know, experience yeah. reporter, and then like someone like me, as I don't have any experience mm-hmm. or anything, but like we both kind of add our own yeah. like value to it, right? Like I think that's what makes crypto so great. It's just all over the place. Yeah, Casey, since you've been at CoinDesk for a while, is there a division between like older and younger journalists and how they operate, what they talk about and what they cover? Yes, but it's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's um, boomers is mean. <laughs> it's <laughs> so more boomer mean. in spirit. I don't know. I think <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's boomers. funny. I mean, Eli's 22. You know, the editor, Danny Nelson, he's talking about was 26. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think our editor in chief, I don't want to guess and get it wrong, but he's definitely over 45, 50. But I think that's why our journalism is so good, because we have people like Eli hustling, working on Discord. And then these Wall Street journalists, uh, veterans, as he said, they know the editorial process almost from like a corporate standpoint in in terms of like these larger media newsrooms. So it's a good balance. Like we have the hustlers and then the like, you know, steady eddies. And I'm, I'm assuming you're doing as a result of that a very good job in capturing both audiences, right? Some people exactly. need to be talked to like they are being written by like an adult yes. who is a tie. Well, uh, I mean, think of like all the crypto verbiage and la- like right. lingo and language. My mom and dad don't understand that. But like mm-hmm. that's who we want to read Coindesk. Um, we want everyone to read Coindesk. That's right, what we but become you can only have name. that because you also need the people in the Telegram. You also need people yeah. in the Discord, right? So we have, a, I think, Crypto Learn, or no, sorry, Coindesk Learn or Explorer is almost like there is like breakdowns of what a lot of this terminology means for mm. anyone. But yeah, we do try to strive, and it is kind of hard to straddle between this industry that's moving so fast. I can't even keep mm. up with the lingo. I have to ask Aubrey, like, what, what does yeah. this mean <laughs> on Twitter? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we do a good job at blending in. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need Layer 2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about high fees or long wait times. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic oracle to securely transfer tokens between Layer 2s and Ethereum. Across's critical ecosystem infrastructure and Across V2 has just launched. Their new version focuses on higher capital efficiency, layer two to layer two transfers, and a brand new chain with Polygon, all while prioritizing high security and low fees. You can be a part of Across's story by joining their Discord and using Across for all of your layer two transferring needs. So go to across.to to quickly and securely bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, or Boba networks. In all of my years in crypto, I have never been hacked, scammed, or lost money to a thief. And a lot of that credit goes to my Ledger hardware wallet. The Ledger Nano X and the Ledger Nano S Plus hardware wallets allow users like you and me to secure and manage all of our crypto assets and our NFTs, all with the security of storing users' private keys offline and out of reach from hackers. The Ledger Nano X is the perfect hardware wallet for managing your crypto and NFTs on the go because it connects to your phone with Bluetooth and has a nice big screen for easy transaction readings. Ledger has also upgraded the iconic Ledger Nano S and made the new Ledger Nano S device more DeFi and NFT friendly, making it the perfect hardware wallet for beginners. Ledger has truly maximized for both ease of use and security. So discover which Ledger device is best suited for your journey by going and visiting shop.ledger.com. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel, has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the web free world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM 
which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. What would you say is like the 50% uh, older crowd, 50% younger crowd? How is the division of journalists in Coindesk split? Uh, you mean readership or like the staff? Uh, staff, journalists, the writers. I'd say 40% boomers, 60%. A lot of the editors are boomers. They're yeah. great. That's what you want from an editor. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's yeah. more of like the a lot of the They're reporters I said are, are probably younger. They age right, like fine wine. That's the The balance. editors have to be the breaks and the young journalists have to be the gas, right? Yep. Yeah. That's an interesting relationship. So your editors are of the boomer crowd? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. But it's exactly what you need, right? They'd be like, Eli, like... People don't understand whitelists or like people don't understand mm. what it's, yeah. what gas wars are fermenting, mm. right? Like explain to them, like you're explaining to me, right? Like right. they got to know. So is that a frustrating part of your jobs? Like, oh, these boomers don't understand what a whitelist is oh. or is it interesting? Is it no, funny? no, it's great. I, yeah. I love the editors. Yeah, the, yeah. the wisdom they pass down is like mm. unbelievable. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, like, you know, Kevin Reynolds, not to, I mean, again, like such a legend. He's been covering news for 30 years, I think. I mean, he practically invented the Bloomberg Terminal. That's he invented Bloomberg Terminal. I mean, can you imagine how much he's seen in news, how mm. much it's changed? He was writing before people were reading their news online, before push mm. notifications, social, before any like digital subscriptions, when people were still picking up the physical newspaper. He's seen all of that evolve. I mean, that kind of wisdom is priceless. So Eli, since you are on the frontier of like what new journalism is, if you accept the take that like once upon a time there were internet funds and now it's just funds. Mm -hmm. Now it's just A16Z. And the same way internet is just taken over. And we kind of think that's going to be the same thing with crypto. And so now that we, have, we call this thing crypto journalism, crypto media, eventually it's just going to be media. You're 22. You're on the frontier. I'm 24 actually. 24. Yeah. Sorry. I started, I started yeah, to drop it yeah, at 22. Now 24. Like you're on the frontier of what it means to be a journalist in a brand new industry that is figuring out everything about itself. So if you had to explain what the difference is in your job is to perhaps a journalist who is at the end of their career, they're 50, 60 plus, they're ready to retire. Can you compare and contrast these things? What are you doing? What do you need to do to do your job very, very well that is completely foreign to journalists of old? Like one of your professors at Columbia, because they've probably been tenured or yeah. they've been there for a while. Um, I think like we kind of talked about just being proficient in like these new ways of communication mm -hmm. like the discords like the twitters i really think maybe it's if anything it's kind of the opposite like it's like how do you integrate kind of the existing methods of journalism mm -hmm. into an, an arena that is just like seems really chaotic and new but really kind of isn't when you think about like at the end of the day like all these even nft companies like they're just institutions right like they're just right. companies they're just people behind the companies that are making money right like if anything yeah like Trying to figure out, like, okay, how were, what's the, uh, the dot-com bubble? Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh, going back and reading about how that was covered and how people figured out how to, like, get information from the rise and crash of that, like, it's so relevant to crypto. It's so mm. relevant to NFTs. Like, mm -hmm. as much as I like to think that I'm, like, in this kind of, like, uncharted territory with everything, like, it's all history rhymes or whatever they say, right? Like, it's all kind history of... History repeats itself. Right. Yeah. I would always imagine that, like, a strong media institution like Coindesk would have just, like, a stable of sources that they would call if they needed to get, like, just information, verification, a scoop. And, like, growing up as a child, you would, like, listen to the morning news and be like, sources, say, and like, oh, sources. They clearly have somebody that they call up and give them a bunch of alpha. And I'm sure Coindesk has that. But then this like whole new open Discord thing or open telegrams changes that a little bit where their Discord handle is like Lurker, right? And so, so <laughs> Working how, Leopard? Lurking Leopard. Yeah. Do you, do you, <laughs> I just doxed, oh, I just doxed myself. Oh, you're giving it away. Now you're going to have to I got other ones. Everybody is <laughs> typing in their Discords right now. Is there a Lurking Leopard in our Discord? <laughs> how do you balance? Like, where do you get your alpha from? Do you have sources or do you have... Discord channels, like what's the greater source of alpha for you when it comes to your, your journalist endeavors? I mean, me personally, like, yeah, there are a ton of people that you'll just see tweeting out random stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's unfounded, right? It's a complete rumor mill, but usually there's some kind of truth, right? Even mm -hmm. if it's not like exactly what's being said. For example, like there were a bunch of tweets about Amazon doing an NFT marketplace, right? Insiders, they know, oh, yeah, Amazon's doing it. And it's like, that's some version of the truth, right? And then you kind of have to follow... You follow the money, like you get in touch with people who are not anonymous, but might 
be in the same circles as these people that are and like see what they have to say and see who mm -hmm. they can kind of put you in touch with mm -hmm. because you really can't cite sources that are not real people or that are not like sure. really committed to you know always telling the truth which are in, in crypto there are a lot of them how does using an anon as a source work does that change the game at all if you're like citing somebody like you got to have the first and last name yeah. really. typically yeah. is, it, is just invalid if you don't have that i mean the anons they're good at giving you like the information that you can go and fact check but like it's risky business to cite somebody that you don't know who they are or what they're about. Yeah, and we had an interesting conversation about this the other day. Like, if we broke the story with like Doquan, for instance, they were originally anonymous. Do we should we reveal that name? Mm. Um, is that an ethical question? We know that it's going to blow up their identity, and we decided that unless we felt it was absolutely necessary, we do try to maintain the anonymity of the sources just so, I mean, it's also good journalism. It'll keep, you know, the relationship with the sources strong, but unless, because it really blows up someone's spot. So <laughs> we're not looking to make somebody a target. Yeah, that's a great example. Like Doquan, um, you know, it's an open secret. Yeah, he had this other algorithmic stablecoin yeah. thing and people know, but it's like, no, we need to see. And we ended up getting, this wasn't my story, but like we got the text between him and his team, right? Like we got the actual documents that prove like, yes, this is real. This is not a rumor. Like this is. And this is in reference to Doquan leading basis, basis cash, cash right? yes. Basis and so cash. did you guys get the scoop on yeah, the story? Yeah, we did. Our, Danny Nelson did. It was, uh, yeah, Sam Kessler and Danny Nelson. That was the story they stayed up all night to get. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. So all night. Coindesk figures out that Do everyone knows who Do Kwon is. This is post uh, Terra Luna blowing up. But it was revealed that Do Kwon was also the anonymous leader of Basis Cash. And then Coindesk at the time decided that that was an appropriate time to disclose somebody's anonymous identity against their like uh, probably against because it blew up they were willing to go on the record as their right. yeah who okay. they actually were because they didn't fear you know right okay yeah. happen. but yeah i mean i think the start of this conversation was we were talking about if we knew who satoshi should we reveal that right. source and it was kind of the conversation I had with the editors. Like, we don't have this story. I just want to be clear. We, we don't know who Satoshi is. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> we're, not sitting, we're not sitting on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not sitting on that. But if we were, should we do that? Um, it could change. Media is powerful. I mean, articles are super powerful in the news. It would change someone's life. Honestly, it was like the newsroom was split half and half. It's such a great story. Should we give enough information where people can kind of figure that out on their own? Do we disclose the identity? Yeah, the doxing thing is like ongoing conversation. Yeah. Right, right. And I'm assuming some of the issue would be like, well, if we discovered who Satoshi Nakamoto is and we keep it a secret, somebody else could reveal it. And then the outcome of it is Scoop the us. same is public information, but we don't get the credit of revealing it. So we've lost that, lost that opportunity. A little bit of that game theory, I'm sure, comes into play, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was big with the Board 8 founders when they got mm. doxxed. It was oh, a big conversation. Yeah. People knew who they were. But yeah, BuzzFeed chose to reveal it. And it was a whole conversation. Well, if they're not doing anything wrong, do you want to reveal their names? Mm. And mm -hmm. like, Did well, you guys know it? Ahead of BuzzFeed? I didn't personally know it, but a lot of NFT people knew it. Okay. I read something in New York Magazine they came out with. It was just like a background on it. And it's a good example of they gave enough details where I'm sure if you just figured out the city that they were talking about in Florida, the school that they went to, they mm. were like literary majors or super interested in it. You can kind of like figure that out on your own sure. if you're interested enough. I'm assuming you might get leads or get alpha from Anons, maybe in DMs. Have you had this opportunity or... What are you, a circumstance presented to you where like an anon comes to you and is like, hey, here's some alpha. Have you ever um, had this before? Yeah, I'm less of a scoopster for the okay. team. <laughs> scoopster? Uh, I'm not like, I'm not like Sam Castle. I'm not like Tracy. I'm not like Danny Nelson. Yeah. Okay. But that's essentially what happens. Like, I don't know if you read Danny Nelson's story about, it was called Master of Anons. Mm. Yeah, about the guy great. who had like 16 or 17 different anonymous right. alter egos. On the I mean, someone essentially just came with the document and was like, I'm, here it is, mm -hmm. right? Like. We had to fact check it and all, but like, you know, somebody had enough, right? And they were like, right. some people know about this, but I think it's worth if everyone knows. So it doesn't really matter if they're coming to you as an anon because it goes through the same fact checking process that all articles and journalism goes through. So you're kind of filtering out the fact that it began with an anon to begin with. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably true in traditional. Yeah, that's probably well. the same exactly inside some, of outside. Yeah, not, not every, but, you know, some yeah. people are more valuable completely on, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. off the record or on background. Casey, okay, so I meant to ask this question earlier, but we were talking about the uh, age divide in at Coindesk and mm -hmm. how different journalists approach their strategy of writing an article. I would imagine the younger types are the ones like in the discords, probably don't have the same level of like connections out there. And then the older journalists are the ones with like, 
the behind the scenes connections, the good, I don't even know what you call these things, but just like, you know, the, the, the feelers, the yeah. birds, the, the whispers. You know yeah. I think it's actually shifted. Really? I mean, of course, you know, like Michael Kesey is such a legend in the space. He knows so many people, but the media invites are usually going to the journalists, not the editor. So it's like Eli, mm. Danny are going to these parties. You're meeting so many people. They might have a bigger Rolodex, I think, than the more senior journalists. Just because of the amount of people that they're exposed to, the amount that they're invited to, I think it's shifted. Mm -hmm. Do you often, Eli, feel like you have a leg up on some of your older colleagues? <laughs> um, maybe a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's tough because I really like operate kind of in the... I just do NFTs, right? right so I'm your, not like... One thing. It's not as much crossover, but it is funny when it's like someone will be talking about a certain person, like, oh, right. we should get in touch, and it's like, yeah, it was just... Got a burger with, with them, them you know, last a couple night. Of days ago. <laughs> yeah, like I can text them, you know, I, I can get a get, yeah. Uh, so how collaborative is the journalist environment? It's very collaborative. Open floor plan kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 it is yeah. open floor plan. It's a strength yeah. in numbers thing for sure. Like that's yeah. probably why we have such a good newsroom, just because we have so many great reporters that all yeah, and everyone gets along, long. which is rare. Yeah, I think everyone does get along. So yeah. like I would imagine if you're like just stumped on a story, you just need something, you could just stand up and be like, "Does anyone know who this person is?" Something like yeah. We'll just like group chat or something i imagine you right yeah I, yeah I guess there are things like slack and discord now yeah, yeah. telling you the events you meet so many i mean you know this like we we go out a lot together mm -hmm. and you meet so many people like yeah, one so of our journalists tracy um she called it hotel lobby con that's what she would call conferences because you could just go to the hotel lobbies right. yeah. she would get like all her great alpha from hotel lobbies yeah. which is like it's true to the you know crypto mm -hmm. journalist idea right like I mean, people, if you're just willing to go out there yeah people used to tell me anything, anything how many journalists do they have you guys have on staff like how many uh, writers we have one six oh no sorry we have 160 full-time at coindesk so i think one twenty one forty of those are journalists 21 40 oh, maybe oh no one we maybe have like 40 journalists full-time i think yeah. so i think we're 160 total coindesk staff and i guess that does include indices the majority of that are in the editorial room or cdtv mm -hmm. I'm not sure the exact number because we do have freelancers, they're global, but it's majority of the staff. So Eli, when you look forward into your own personal career, what do you want to become as a journalist in crypto? And also, do you feel like that is also true for your colleagues? Like, What does the average crypto journalist want their future career to be? And does that relate to what you also want personally? It's tough because something like, uh, you know, being an NFT journalist, like, there has never been one, and I don't even know if that will exist in the future, you know? Mm. So it's hard to know, like, what this whole crypto media landscape will really turn into and, like, what kind of roles will be out there in the future. But, I mean, personally, like, there are so many great tech reporters out there, right? Like, I love, like, Katie Natopoulos, like, mm. Taylor Lorenz, right? Like, people that mm. are able to kind of make their livings with really more than the tech, like, the communities, right? Like, the culture, like NFTs, like it's finance, it's tech, but it's also culture. And I definitely love the culture part. I think mm -hmm. that um, in the future, like I would love to kind of continue to live in that realm. But also, I mean, you always wanted to get into Columbia Journalism School, right? And now Eli's there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm that's there. And it's crazy. funny because people in don't even know. You're in the middle of school right now? Yeah, yeah. in the middle and of school. I, school. Class, I got class tomorrow, yeah. Were you so. in the middle of school while the bull market was going on? No, no, no. no. I, no. I started school like... <laughs> Yeah, like a few weeks ago, like a couple okay. months ago. But oh, yeah. so now, yeah, thank you. Now yeah. I'm, I'm doing Coinbase part time, but okay. was doing it full time during the bull run. But it's funny, like you know, I'm not writing about NFTs in class, right? I'm, my <laughs> beat is actually like it's the Bronx is like my beat. <laughs> so I'll be like going up to the Bronx and doing like local news stories, and uh -huh. it's like it couldn't be more different than like Coindesk mm -hmm. stuff. So it was Coindesk like bummed when you had to go scale back your time to go to Columbia Journalism School? Like what, what was the Coindesk cancel? Like, yeah, like, oh, sweet, our guys. I, I was devastated. Well, I yeah. know I was so happy for Eli because I know you always wanted to go to the J school, but I was like, oh, no, Eli. I yeah, mean, people were trying to get me to stay. They yeah. like, I don't go to J school, but. So it's the purpose of uh, going to uh, J school is I guess what you call it, the J school. The purpose is to be a better journalist. For you, is it to be a better crypto journalist? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think I'm going. It's always kind of been my dream to go. Like Columbia is kind of a famous program. Yeah. Before when you, when you tell people what you like, what your background is at the J school, like your students, I'm like, oh, I wrote about NFTs, and people are like, what? like for fun? <laughs> like, did you get? I'm like, no, for I got paid. Like, it was a real yeah. job. Like, well, you're one of the um, only kids in the program, right? The, one of the only students that was a writer before, right? Like, a, yeah, there a fully there's employed some of us, journalist. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, most people coming from out of undergrad, but I'm yeah, but Eli, like, maybe you'll teach. Maybe you'll yeah, be like I'll one of the add-in professors. Class, yeah. Before um, Coindesk, I always had interest. I had interest in sports journalism. Mm -hmm. I've always liked criminal justice stuff. So mm -hmm. 
yeah, being able to maybe cover that in the future would be great as well. So where do you see your fellow colleagues? You're taking a, a bit of a, not a hiatus because you're still working at Coindesk, but taking a little bit of a step back. Where, where do you see your colleagues seeing the industry of crypto journalism? What does crypto journalism look like? I mean, I'm going to ask you, Casey, the same question after mm-hmm. Eli's done. Where do you see like the, your fellow journalists seeing crypto journalism go in like the next few years? What's going to need to change and what should change? Like how's the meta going to change? I think that after this last bull market, we need to be equipped to kind of know who the bad actors are, right? Mm. Something like the Terra Luna deal, right? Like it would be great to not have to have that play out the way it did and have so many people be affected when maybe there was a way to kind of prevent this. Um, I think crypto journalism is most important in the bull runs and then the crashes. Mm. I think that's where the industry most needs like transparency. I think like trying to figure out our identity when it's kind of like a lull is is going to be not a challenge, but it's just like something we'll have to figure out. But I think like kind of gearing up and saying, okay, what a fun time it was for the rise and fall. Like how can we do it better? And I think we're still figuring that out, you know, how how we can do that better next time. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good time to pull back, build, kind of focus on like the structure of our business or business model. Um, And like, you know, Coinus, we've already been through two or three winters before. This isn't new to us. Yeah, Coinus has been around forever. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't new to us, but it's a good time because the bull run is so crazy. It's such a frenzy. Um, so now we can kind of focus on like structure and overall strategy. So it's good to have both. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone could do bull run hours forever. No, <laughs> I don't think no, that's sustainable. God, no. <laughs> I remember so. when the bull run started, it was like one quarter into the bull run. And like it took me and Ryan about that long amount of time for us to be excited about the bull run to then realizing the absolute magnitude of just like feeding frenzy that was about to be in front of us. And we were like, we were stoked, like sweet bull run. But we were also like, oh shit, bull run. We're not going to sleep. Yeah, like (laughs) this is, my life is now different. Yeah. Yeah. Casey, you you talked about how Coindesk wants to go and and like compete with the likes of Bloomberg or like, you know, the biggest fish that are outside in the world of trad media. Mm -hmm. One thing I don't want out of our media companies in this space is to just be just like them when they grow up, right? When Coindesk grows up and it does, you know, bite the head off of Bloomberg and replace it (laughs) as a media institution, how and why is it going to be different? Why is it going to be better? I mean, for a lot of reasons, I think one is we're never going to go public like any other media company because we're already owned by Digital Currency Group. Another thing, too, is I think we'll always focus on crypto and blockchain um, and how it evolves. We'll always be specialized in that. Um, you know, these other media outlets, they've evolved and they've covered so many different beats. We'll always be focused. And because of that and because of that niche and, you know, blockchain and crypto will become more mainstream. So it'll grow. But I think it'll just mainly because we'll be, you know, so focused. Yeah. I mean, we often talk about like our audience, like all the different buckets yeah. between people that are just getting into crypto for the first time. And I think like our strength will always be like that bullseye of People that are interested in crypto, yep. like we serve them, I think, better than anybody else. Like yeah. the crypto native, like we do a lot of coverage, but we're kind of the best at that. That's kind of yeah. A, and that audience on who's interested in crypto at the moment, that's always changing. Right now we're doing a big, it's not like the editorial room is as much focused on TradFi, but as a company, like right now my overall strategy for comms is how we can really tap into the TradFi audience in terms of our external representation. They're super, you know, interested in crypto. But yeah, it changes. I mean, last year that was literally everybody on the planet. <laughs> and now it's more institutional um, companies, which is interesting. And Casey, you talked about a little bit of a, a brain drain coming when Coindesk is hiring a bunch of new journalists, new talent, new yeah. operators. You said you're doing a lot of effort just poaching them from the trad media space, right? Yeah. Why do they want to come into crypto? Like what's motivating them? And can you just talk about just the quality and the vibe of these candidates that are coming in? Yeah, absolutely. So we did hire a lot in the past year. So like our, you know, we have fulfilled the positions that we were looking for. And I think a lot of them are interested because, again, like there is like this, you know, having a niche and focusing on a specific beat is really enticing. You can have like one thing that's really rare about Coindesk compared to other media companies. Everybody that is an expert and anybody that wants to have, um, you know, broadcast appearances, public speaking, we give them the opportunity. There's no hierarchy. Mm. Um, And so any journalist that really wants to get recognition for the stories they're publishing, building their personal brand, Coindesk is a much better platform to do that than these giant newsrooms like Bloomberg and The Journal where things are kind of, you know, they start at the top and it'd be pretty rare for you to be a junior journalist at 
Bloomberg or CNBC, I imagine, and get the amount of airtime that our journalists at Coindesk get. I think what you're saying is that these older institutions, older media institutions are just very hierarchical and yeah. probably a little bit more calcified. And yeah. Would you say Coindesk is a flatter and wider? Super flat. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so flat. I mean, of course, there is... We do have a C-suite leadership. There are editors, editor-in-chief, but everything's pretty collaborative, don't you think, Eli? Yeah. Yeah, it's super collaborative. And honestly, what's kind of funny is the junior journalists like Eli are the ones that get more public recognition. They're on more TV externally. They're in like other articles externally than the more seasoned boomers. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of how the way, you know, the way that we operate. I'm guessing here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but for an older institution, I guess we're just going to pick on Bloomberg for the rest of this episode. <laughs> but so like say there's this hierarchical structure, a new journalist comes in, they're probably like banging out some like fodder articles. They're probably not really on, they don't have too much freedom, I'm guessing here. And so what you're saying is like a lot of that opportunity, if a good article comes or a good scoop comes or a good uh, piece of story or something happens, mm -hmm. the good stuff gets captured up by the people higher up in the hierarchy first. And so there's less real value for the people, the newer journalists, the newer hires to really prove themselves. I think so. I mean, I haven't worked in, you know, I did have an internship at the New York Times a long time ago, so I'm familiar with that newsroom a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've never worked in the Bloomberg newsroom, but yeah, I would imagine it's kind of like that. And speaking mm -hmm. to some of my external contacts, it's a little bit like that. But one thing too, you know, with Coindesk and my role you know, Coindesk making it a household name, but I want to make sure that the journalists that we have get recognition for their pieces that they publish, um, not just Coindesk, but them individually, mm -hmm. which I think is people, when they think of journalists, they know the stories, they don't know the person behind it. And I want to change that. Yeah. And a lot of it is also just the subject matter again, like, yeah. you know, if you wrote about banking, like you're going to go to one of these you're places, just that there's going to be guy. people that have been <laughs> writing about banking though for like decades or like yeah. you're an education reporter. You mm -hmm. know, if I went to a newsroom, there's going to be education reporters that have been writing about that since like the eighties or nineties. DAOs, like mm -hmm. people have not been writing about DAOs for decades. People mm -hmm. have been writing about DAOs for months and years. Like <laughs> if so if you want to write about something like that, like <laughs> you can. Yeah, go ahead, right? Like yeah. there's not kind of like a precedence or people are gonna be ahead of you for experience, right? Mm -hmm. So do you guys think that as Coindesk grows up and as the crypto media grows up and starts to emulate more of the properties that we see in the traditional media space, do you think that flatness will kind of disappear and be replaced by a little bit more hierarchy? Or do you think we have some of this flatness here? here for good for the rest of time. I, it's just part of our model. I mean, even like our CEO, Kevin Worth, who's so sweet, there's no hierarchy. He's he's not ever condescending, but he just is fully like immersed in whatever we're doing. Um, Michael Casey's the same way. I think that's just a huge part of our culture and I think it'll always be that way. And like, you know, the way that the company's structured is we have like a business side, they're taking care, like there is, I guess, a little bit of hierarchy there just to make sure that we are generating like a healthy revenue to make sure that we can keep hiring when we do have open positions again. But yeah, I think the flatness is a core part of our brand and um, work culture. Mm -hmm. yeah, Eli, can you talk a little bit about how the flatness makes things fun? Can you, Flat is fun. <laughs> can you explain the flatness a little bit more? Like, what do you Yeah, so the... instead of like having a, we have, you know, open bazaars or you have like top-down hierarchies, oh, okay. right? Yeah, and yeah. so hierarchies is like, you are pretty rigid in your role. You can't really expand out. There's like your superior who has a superior who has a superior versus a more flat organization, which is like everyone's kind of on equal footing and maybe there's one superior who's kind of coordinating it all together, but it's not layered and layered and layered on like a hierarchy. You're giving it a lot more freedom. There's a lot less top-down control. You're a little bit more in charge of what you write about, what you think about, what you do. And so when Casey's telling me that like uh, you start writing about NFTs and all of a sudden Coindesk starts sending you the Sotheby's, that feels very <laughs> empowering and very And then Sotheby's right? inviting me. At, at yeah, the no, they right. invite oh, yeah. him. Afterwards, yeah, after yeah. Constitution Now, it's like they're emailing me like, oh, we would mm -hmm. like you to come and mm -hmm. drink the champagne while we do the auction. Yeah, opportunities like that. I feel like with crypto, there's way more free reign as to like what stories you want to tell. Especially now, like with my editor, Rosie, like very, very little am I being now assigned stories that I need to hit every few days. Mm -hmm. It's more of like, well, you're on, you're out there on the ground in the Twitter circles, like yeah. what's going on, right? Like it, it feels more like I have more autonomy, you know, with the news gathering aspect of it. And it's like, oh, well, even if something might be interesting to her, like, well, do you think it would be interesting to the people that were reading, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a lot less, it feels like... Uh, just kind of strict, strict yeah. assignments, I would mm -hmm. say. 
Yeah. But then there's also the onus of, okay, I have to go out and I got to find stuff. Yeah. I got to be creative, right? But you had to earn those stripes, right? You oh, yeah, come, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I came in, I was flipping so many press releases. I mean, I was very, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like, I had no autonomy in the beginning. Like, it would be like Zach, you know, giving me. Yeah. But you were an you know, intern. I, was writing, like, I mean, it was your yeah, first job. Yeah. When I first started, I was writing like three stories a day. Like, yeah. I was yeah. banging out those short yeah. hits, right? Like, yeah, I definitely how paid long, my How dues. long were you doing that before you started to have, uh, you know, your own stripes? Oh, months and months. Maybe like yeah. four or five months. Okay. That is months. nothing. Months. Four <laughs> months. Oh my god! Some people do that for months. years. Years. For years. Yeah. Like I said, I had like four or five years before after graduating college before I got into crypto. Mm-hmm. Actually, just kidding. Only two. But like, I'm seeing like the shorter and shorter turnaround time where people are graduating from college and be like, I want to get into crypto. Yeah. And those people are having the best time. Like they they get to skip over all the all shenanigans the of like TradFi, <laughs> Trad Media, Trad whatever. Eli, uh, you're a lucky fellow, man. Like going straight from college yeah. to CoinDesk is pretty sweet. Yeah, it's funny. Every once in a while, I'll see another person like me, another <laughs> another 24 year old crypto media person at whatever like backstage concert. Yeah. And we're kind of like just laughed at each other, like what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so this funny. is just absurd. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eli, Casey, thank you so much for joining me on Bankless. Are there any last thoughts or, or things we should talk about before we should sign off here? Just thanks for having us. It's great yeah. to be here. Cheers, yeah. guys, for having us. Of course.